Welcome back for another episode of Lead, Travel, Pray. Today we're going to focus on the leadership topic of recruiting or talent acquisition as you may know it. This show will cover the topic from the angle of a job candidate. If you missed our last show where we spoke on this topic from the leadership point of view, please check that out too. You'll find it on our website, leadtravelpray.com. I'm Sandy Schneider and I'll be moderating the conversation this time. And once again, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Rebecca Ellis and Michelle Strike. Hello, ladies. Hi. Hello. We are really excited to once again this episode be joined by our guest, Michelle King. Michelle Strike, the two of you are sitting in the same room, which makes it fun. We've got the Michelles together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle Strike, I'd like for you to introduce us to Michelle King. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Sandy. So Michelle is one of my dearest friends and is a leading expert in this topic. So it made for a great reason to have her on our podcast. So she comes with almost three decades of experience in the talent acquisition and recruiting field. And currently she is the vice president of talent acquisition and diversity and inclusion for Reinsurance Group of America, otherwise known as RGA. And she's been there for almost six years. Prior to that, she was at Scripps for almost eight years, which you guys might be most familiar with um, via their affiliation with HGTV. So I'm confident that once again, we'll glean lots of great insight from Michelle and her experience. So we're excited to have you on the show. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Sandy. Absolutely. Thank you. So let's get started with unemployment continuing to stay at near historic lows. Traditional recruiting practices have evolved to be more agile and tech enabled so as to create a better candidate experience. Michelle King, I'm curious to know if you've noticed anything in your particular company's processes or recruiting philosophy that has changed recently. It's a great question. Thank you, Sandy. I don't know that I would say that anything's drastically changed. I believe that we've become more refined and honed in on those things that are working for us. So making sure that we are outward facing, that we're networking as recruiters, that we're where the people are, making showing up at industry events, working with technology. Some of the things that we do differently today is we might do more video interviewing. Instead of Mm -hmm. flying candidates in to try and expedite the process, we might do video interviews and have them go somewhere that's available for a video or we do a video, even doing FaceTime if technology is not working. Um, So we try to be more flexible around that. I think our systems have gotten more sophisticated. So using our applicant tracking systems to help us source talent whether it be through outward social media sites, whether it be within your own database, and then that communication um, through your systems with your candidates has gotten much better than, say, even five and ten years ago than it was that would allow you to have that um, two-way conversation with individuals. You mentioned applicant tracking systems, which are what a lot of the large organizations are using for our listening audience, right? This is applying online, essentially, and having your data uploaded into a system that the recruiters can utilize on the company side. Um, I'm curious, I I get this question a lot, I think, from people who are going through the, the job interview and our applicant process. 
some of the applicant tracking systems have some similarities, some have differences. What are sort of the things that candidates would need to know to effectively apply through this mechanism? So what I would say to that is make certain that you're actually filling out pertinent information. Go back and look at what you put. Make sure that you didn't miss a contact information. There's so many times we'll have someone create something and maybe they don't list their phone number and it's not on their resume. So you're left to try and get there to them through email. Making certain that you list and actually attach your resume um, to the applicant tracking. Don't just fill out you know, your contact information. So you wanna go back and validate that it's important. You're right, every applicant tracking system is a little bit different. Some have different tools, but just make certain that you as an individual are putting as much information as you can because that's what's gonna get you contacted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that one thing that I see that's um, kind of different in the space is how much even for um, some mid-level to lower level positions in organizations are starting to use search mm-hmm. firms because of the um, low em- employment low unemployment rate that we're having, that it's more and more competitive at a variety of levels. And they're really looking at LinkedIn. In fact, I just talked to a candidate applying for a role uh, last week in an organization. And I said, how'd you find out about this job opening? And they said, well, I wasn't happy in my organization. So flipped on LinkedIn that I was open to um, recruiters contacting me within a day. Mm-hmm. Within a day, he was contacted. Mm-hmm by that um, organization. So I think that just the sophistication of how systems are working and that that's you know, a big component of right. people's roles just makes that accessibility different than it was before. On a more um, personal note, um, one of the things that we've really tried to, to do at CMA is um, get really good at assessing culture fit, especially at the consultant level. And so we will go so far as to um, bring somebody into our monthly offsite. If they're not located in St. Louis, we'll fly them in and they spend a half day with us. And we ask them to present so that we see what it would look like in front of clients, Q&A, stuff like that. Like, how do they do that job qualification? And then also just how do they gel with the group? Because one-on-one, it can be one way, but our culture is really important. So spending a half day with that person, if they seem pretty uncomfortable or um, if they're really stiff, it's not going to work within our culture. So that, so actually that immersion experience we have found is important to vet some of this out. Mm-hmm. Totally. I like, Michelle, that you brought up LinkedIn. Um, For those in our our viewing audience who are in a job search, if you don't have a LinkedIn account yet, this is a great opportunity to open one. I I recently had a conversation with someone who, for whatever reason, was a bit intimidated about getting on LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. even though they are on Facebook. So their, their profile is out there in the world. It's just more of a personal profile than a work profile. And it really surprised me that there would be apprehension in switching from one platform to the other. Um, Thoughts on LinkedIn and how that can be uh, beneficial or on the converse side, um, detrimental in the selection process? Yeah. So LinkedIn by far, particularly in North America, is the largest social recruiting platform there is for work. Um, If you want to get noticed and found, LinkedIn is one of the easiest ways to do that. 
You are starting to see others come into play. Other markets in certain countries have different platforms, but in North America particularly, it is the strongest. We use it. Our recruiters heavily use it um, to actually network with talent. Um, and so it is really interesting. And I would say from a positive side, what I would encourage people to do is not just list a title and a company name, put what you've done and done successfully, not just what your responsibilities are, mm -hmm. right? Show your accomplishments um, out on LinkedIn because that's what's gonna get you noticed. The opposite side of that is that if you are active on LinkedIn and you're always posting, but you're posting what might be viewed as some as inflammatory, right? You have a strong view mm -hmm. one way or the other. LinkedIn is not a place to get dates. It's not a place probably you're going <laughs> to post a bunch of political posts. There are other mm -hmm. platforms such as like a Facebook or maybe your Instagram account that you might want to do that on. LinkedIn, keep it for business. Mm -hmm. um, you've started to see people um, mm -hmm. web into LinkedIn, even personal postings. There's nothing wrong with that, but it is a business platform. And so I think that that's the best way mm -hmm. to keep it. Agreed completely. So LinkedIn is certainly a good way to get noticed, particularly by recruiters who are scouring the market, looking for people who have certain skill sets. Um, I'm curious about applying online via a resume. What sorts of things might help a candidate be noticed when a recruiter's got, I don't know, a stack of 25 to 100 resumes for a particular opening? So I think that one of the best things that you can do is just exactly what I said about what you should post on LinkedIn. It's no different on your general resume. So often individuals will submit a resume with what their responsibilities are. I'm responsible for finding qualified talent people. Instead of saying placed individuals with a less than 50% or 50 time, days time to fill, that's an accomplishment. Right, so what I would say is write your resumes to your accomplishments. Pull out the things that you've done successfully. Um, you can weave in there what your responsibility is, but if you just list your responsibility, I'm gonna wanna know what you've actually accomplished. Has someone had the same experience and repeated one year of experience 10 times, or have they shown growth, right? You wanna see that in a resume. The opposite side of that true is make sure you spell check. Um, and grammar check, <laughs> mm -hmm. because we yes. still see a lot of resumes that come over with misspelled words, um, misuse of grammar, missing periods. I can't underscore how important that is, not only from a talent acquisition perspective, because sometimes, you know, someone might be come through as a network and we still put them through. Um, leaders notice that as well. Um, I will have leaders that will say, this isn't the right way to say that, right? They'll mark it up. They're very particular. It does show up. Um, and it doesn't hurt to have someone look over your resume beside yourself mm -hmm. because you know you best mm -hmm. and you automatically read how you meant to say something. And so I would always encourage someone to have someone else look at their resume. I think that's great advice. It's always hard to edit your own anything. Um, you just miss things that others will pick up on. Um, one thing that I know as a hiring leader that I most notice in that stack and Often a recruiter's screen some, but when they get to me and they're written so generic, like any job mm -hmm. in the learning space, when I'm specifically hiring for an yeah. instructional designer, it's an, it's um, challenging for me to find the skill and the good fit that they might be when it's a kind of generalist type of approach to just 
cast a net to as wide as audience as they can, clearly using it for multiple, multiple postings. I don't know that you have to get so specific that every resume is individualized. I, I think that would be probably not even realistic. But at least knowing, you know, how I can tell and present my current results, and I agree, not just activities, but results, things I've impacted by telling that story in a way that's better aligned to the actual posting. And maybe that means having a couple different mm-hmm. versions of a resume, but um, I do know that the ones that look pretty um, non-specific to me are the ones that go to the agree. bottom of the pile. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, in, in looking at resumes, because I look at them for all different industries so it's interest- and globally, so it's interesting to just look at how people um, format excuse me, their resumes and what they include in it. And one of the things that is helpful for me as somebody interviewing, and I'm not looking at the technical skills, is for them to put some sort of competency or skill listed either within a job or at the top. Like what are some top things that you think that you're kind of known for or that are at the top of the top? And I know for me, when I've had my own resumes, Mm -hmm. that's the part that I've been able to really customize as the ordering of those things are much more job relevant. And um, Mm -hmm. so there are things that I would put at the top versus the bottom and the way that I would highlight some things in my current role would be different. And um, I don't see people doing a great job of um, calling out those things in resumes today. Great tips, ladies. So let's say we've got somebody who's applying for a job, their, their resume, they've spent time on it, it's been reviewed, it's been uploaded, they've um, updated their LinkedIn profile, and they actually get selected for an interview. They're super excited, a little bit nervous, as they're getting ready to walk into that interview. What things have you noticed that the most successful candidates do or say to leave a positive first impression? First of all, they show up early. Um, Now, Mm -hmm. it's always interesting. Don't show up an hour early. Right. Um, <laughs> because that's just annoying. Um, but make sure that you're showing up. You know, the old adage to be early is to be on time, to be on time is to be late is so true. Um, because it's a matter of respect. Do I respect other individuals' time? Now, if you find that you're, we all have thing, emergencies that come up, maybe you're stuck in traffic beyond your control, then call the person. Make sure before you leave your house or your business to go to that interview, you have your contact person's number handy Mm -hmm. so that you can reach them. Mm -hmm. Know who you're going to contact. The other thing that stands out is how they treat our people at the front desk, right? Mm -hmm. They're on time, but they're actually converse. They'll be nice to the people um, that they meet up front. We always ask, right? Because if they're rude to them, they're probably Mm going to be rude to someone else. Mm -hmm. You never know who it is that you're talking Mm -hmm. to. Um, So being nice. The other piece is being succinct. They can tell their story. They know how to answer questions and go deep um, when you go deep with them. But they're not just so polished that they're what I call a professional interviewer, right? Mm -hmm. They just have their story and they're going to tell you their story no matter what. And they don't listen to the questions that you're actually answering or asking of them. Yeah, I think that um, I really like those tips. I think that as somebody who is interviewing, it can be tough to feel prepared and yet not come across as overprepared, right? Where you've thought about certain questions. And so they just said, 
um, conflict. And so I'm going to answer the question this way rather than actually listening to what the Mm -hmm. example was being asked. Mm -hmm. And so then they don't end up answering the right question. And there are times where I'm like, okay, that actually didn't give me what I needed. (laughs) And so as the person interviewing them, I'm having to go and say, um, so I I actually need something a little bit different for an example there. So let me re-ask it. And if you need me to clarify anything, I'm happy to. And I think at that point, they're pretty flustered because they know that they just did something wrong. So I would say, honestly, it's just truly trying to listen and balance how you come across and how prepared you are with going in the moment. And I think that's a great point, Michelle. But it's also good for candidates. When I... When they tell me something and they say, is that what you're looking for? Did I, or is there something that I missed? And they ask me that question, I appreciate it. Because then mm-hmm. I can say, it's close. Can I ask you some clarifying questions? Uh-huh. Right? Mm-hmm. Because then I know that mm-hmm. they're interested to make mm-hmm. sure that they give me what mm-hmm. we're looking for. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think the best first impression for me are people who just feel really genuine and authentic. That they're prepared enough that they don't sound... Like they've memorized mm-hmm. a script, um, but that they are honest with, hey, I'm a little nervous. You know, it's been a couple of years since I've interviewed. Or when they say those types of things to me, it just makes it more human. And I have a, a chance to show some empathy. And, you know, we have a chance to kind of get on that, um, I guess, same page. So that's for me probably the biggest. Um, I don't like things that feel like a production and feel like mm-hmm. an inauthentic exchange mm-hmm. of information, um, which is often the case, I think, um, unfortunately. Yeah, totally. So we've been talking mostly about face-to-face interviews, but the reality is today that a lot of interviews are being done virtually. So what are the things that applicants should be thinking about to ensure a successful virtual interview? Well, test your technology before the interview starts is number one. Mm -hmm. And we actually ask candidates, have you done this before? If you haven't done video, would you like to test out your equipment beforehand? And our scheduler will actually test Mm -hmm. it out with them Um, because it's so important to have Mm -hmm. a good impression the first time. The second piece is to make sure that you're looking at your camera and the person you're talking to and not looking up as you're answering questions or looking around the room. you know, you might have mm-hmm. your pajama bottoms on, but make sure the camera shows you're dressed for the interview, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure that you're in a quiet space if you're not actually in a room that's designated for video um, so that, you know, you drowned out those background noises that don't overtake an interview conversation. Um, and if you have a family, make sure your family knows that this is a confidential conversation that you need them to maybe stay out of the room for now, right? And it happens. Kids sometimes run into a room or something, and mm-hmm. you know we appreciate that. We know people have lives, right? You have families, um, but you want to be not be distracted, right? And then get so flustered because suddenly your little one is trying to take over your interview session. Mm-hmm. So just prepare those things. I think that's totally true in those situations where suddenly there's a surprise entrance, right? Um, from from the hiring leader's perspective, it's a little bit of a giggle. It might be cute. The, the applicant panics, right? right? Mm-hmm. Because they're trying to get the person out, yes. get out of here. I'm busy. Somebody take care of this. And for the applicant, it creates such a huge distraction. They may have been mid-story in a really important 
um, interview mm-hmm. answer. And now they're completely distracted and likely their heart is racing. Um, and, and so I think that's absolutely great advice is to the extent possible, set yourself up for success. Yeah. Find that quiet space. Let people around you know this is your time to interview. Can I just tell a quick aside here of a story that I had never experienced until this point, and it's now happened three different times, where I was on the phone with the applicant, and it was in the afternoon, and um, their teenager came home, and as soon as they hit the garage, the car picked up the Bluetooth of their oh. phone and then we heard the loudest rap music that you have ever heard and neither one of us could figure out what happened and we can't talk to each other because then it was in the car and so he couldn't hear me right and so we just both ended up hanging up and reestablishing the connection and figuring out that it then got picked up on the car but that has now happened a few different times that I think that those are things that kind of throw you off that I wouldn't have expected but all of a sudden I'm asking question and then I'm hearing lots of rap. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, that's an interesting way to answer that. Right. <laughs> that's, funny. that's funny. Thanks for sharing, Michelle. We know that assessing soft skills and things like emotional intelligence are increasingly important for employers. And we talked about that in our last episode. But from a candidate perspective, how can candidates proactively come to the table prepare to share their capabilities in these areas? So I, one of the things Rebecca just said a moment ago was people who are authentic. I think the best thing you can do is show up authentically to an interview, making certain that you don't always have to have the perfect answer. Um, showing your best EIQ is being able to be self-reflective to say, man, this is where I failed. This didn't go so well because we all have those in our careers. And if you've been in your career more than probably a month, you probably have something that maybe didn't go right. (laughs) Um, So being authentic, I think that that's part of it. The other piece is you don't wanna sound too can, but you should rehearse. You should be able to have someone go through questions with you um, to tell you this is your body language. You've said um or an or so 200 times now in this conversation, but you only spent 30 seconds answering a question. So practice, I think, is important. I think it helps individuals, particularly around their soft skills, but knowing how to tell a story. Mm -hmm. It's not just answering a question, but can I tell a story? Can I tell you the context? Can I tell you what happened and what the success was of it or what the outcome was? That's really important. I think that helps us really judge their soft skills Mm -hmm. and show up. So that storytelling piece Mm -hmm. is huge. I personally know that I struggle in interviews with this because I have a tendency to tell, as you all know, long stories <laughs> and provide lots of context. Right. And the reality is that the interviewer has a number of questions they need to get through in a set period of time. Right. Um, and so it's not necessarily helping me to give every detail about the scenario. And so for me preparing, it looks like, how do I tell this story in concise bullet points mm-hmm. versus telling every detail associated with it? Right. You don't want to ask a question like, tell me your story. And they spend the next hour telling you their story and you can't ask totally. a question, yeah. right? And that's why practice, I think, is important. I always say, can you tell me an answer in a minute or less, right? Mm-hmm. In the next couple minutes, mm-hmm. take a minute to tell me your story. Um, it's amazing what you can do and you can get in in 30 minutes to 60 seconds. Um, yeah. or 30 seconds to 
a minute. I said that backwards. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yes. I love that, that you provide that guidance up front. Because if I know I only have a minute to tell you my story, mm-hmm. okay, well, here's here are the highlights right. that I'll share in a minute. Mm-hmm. And it certainly provides the interviewer with an opportunity to ask follow-up. So if there's more detail that's needed, don't worry, they're going to ask you. Absolutely. I had someone last week say, okay, here's my 50,000-foot view of my story when I asked that question. And I was like, great, I have a question about one thing you said. Could we just spend a minute on this? I want, I, you know, could you provide more, more detail? It gave me the opportunity then to actually have a conversation interview that I was actually asking questions and getting the detail that I needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I think sometimes when um, the stories, uh, let's just say, drag out a little bit, um, people actually start to highlight things that aren't to their yes. advantage yes. either. And so as an interviewer, that's good for me. But as a candidate, yes. right, it's not good for them. So. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just say that in our interview, it went swimmingly. We did really well. And now we're walking out of the interview. It was face-to-face, and we're, we got a big smile on our face. We're feeling great amount of relief, and we're looking forward to the next step in the process. What actions should the candidate be taking now after that interview? Well, I think the first thing they should do as they're walking out of the interview is ask the interviewer, What's the best way for me to follow up with you? Whether that's the talent acquisition or HR resource, how do you prefer me to communicate with you? Because then you're going to know how that person um, would like to be communicated with. I always say follow up within 24 hours, whether it's an email or whether it's mail, snail mail. Um, You should actually at least acknowledge their time, um, why you're still interested in this role, um, and the value you bring. And it doesn't have to be long, and it shouldn't be too long, um, but a short thank you. Mm-hmm. The opposite side of that is don't stalk them then every 24 hours, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> wanting an answer. But ask, you know, it's okay to ask, when should I expect to hear something back? And if you don't hear something back, then to follow up. Um, that's okay. But mm-hmm. I think that you want to follow up within that 24 to 48 period um, following the interview. Yeah, and I would just add that I I like everything that you just outlined, and the same goes when you're working with a um, search firm mm-hmm. as a candidate. Make sure yeah. that you're not following up with them all the time because they are feeding things back to their client organization about this person has now followed up every single day this week. And so they, even though you're not dealing with the hiring organization, they still are getting information fed to them. So be mindful of that and how you treat those people. Yeah, I, I'm definitely good with an email follow-up. I don't feel like a handwritten note is necessary, but I will tell you what has most got my attention and still memorable, like, 18 years later. I was hiring uh, for a creative role, and a person created a, um, a box that basically was decorated with what we would consider probably now their strengths or, like, what they could contribute to the job, and it was a... A very thoughtful, and I forget if inside was like an origami or something. Anyway, it was very cre- creatively arranged, and it was like, this is why I'm the best fit, and here's what I bring to the table, like a puzzle or something. Anyway, um, still somewhat memorable, almost two decades later, of, wow, you're right. Like, I heard those things. Now you're reinforcing them in this um, physical you know, item that you've created that's very different than anything I've ever seen. So, yeah, that's very cool. memorable. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. We used to see that a lot mm-hmm. more in the entertainment world, whether it was HGTV or food, right? We might get pizza boxes of things, right? Oh, yeah. But to, 
to the point, this person showed you their creative side. It wasn't just a thank you, right? Mm -hmm. Now they Mm -hmm. actually showed you their capability of how they might think around a job, which is why I love that example. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you all for your perspective. Uh, We have time for a quick lightning round of questions. Are you guys up for that? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I've got three lightning round questions. Michelle King, we'll start with you. Um, Thinking about, from an applicant perspective, the job search interviewing process, the whole from initial uh, application to starting the job, uh, what would you say is the top must do? Be kind to everyone you come in contact because you never know who that person may turn out to be. Love it. Michelle Strike, how about you? What's a must to do? When in an interview, candidly share your development areas and what you're doing to work on them. Oh, love it. And Rebecca, how about you? My top do is um, once you've narrowed uh, down to a specific organization and have been invited in for an interview, talk to everyone in your network who might know or have worked Mm -hmm. there. Know someone who does or has worked there. A neighbor, a Facebook second degree (laughs) contact that you might be able to make. But do your research and beyond just scrolling through the website. But really, truly try to get to know the organization before you walk in. Love it. Okay, question number two. Um, Conversely, what is the top do not do this or one of your top pet peeves in the process? Starting again with Michelle King. If you cuss like a sailor, the time to do that is not in the interview (laughs) process. So watch your mouth. And you would be surprised. Watch your mouth. Oh, it is true. There are times I'm like, I really cannot believe that they just said that out loud. And they had no clue that they said that out loud or they didn't care. Yep. Right. Yes. Perfect. Thank you. Michelle Strike. Yeah. So it's kind of related to my do is when you are asked about your development areas, oh, this is such a pet peeve and it happens probably 20% of the time. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I have so many, but gosh, I just can't think of one. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Or, Or, yes, they actually don't represent a real development area so they say something like I push my team to really meet their goals and sometimes they don't like that you take a positive and as your negative yes it's totally a positive and I'm like so what's the downside of that I don't know maybe they think that I'm too goal oriented and I'm like oh my gosh <laughs> not a development area like every single interview should ask that question so come prepared with some sort sort of answer don't be surprised (laughs) and we're back to authenticity be authentic in the process how about Rebecca for you top do not do or pet peeve yeah my top pet peeve is uh, the candidate using this interview as a platform for venting about their current situation Mm -hmm. and the victim mentality that is what it is of why they're, you know, because you often ask, why are you interested Mm -hmm. in this role? Why are you considering leaving your current? But I have seen it go way beyond that. Like every question, well, this didn't go well because my leader, blah, 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 blah. And like just not taking accountability. And I just have don't have any tolerance for that. <laughs> good. At all. Very good. Thank you guys for sharing. And then finally, what is the best advice that you were ever given that you'd like to pay forward? Michelle King. I would say that the interview is a two-way process. 
So often you go into the interview because you just want to get the job, right? And you're trying to sell yourself and you don't take time to actually interview the person sitting across the table to understand that this is really where you want to be and this is a fit. Mm-hmm. Ah, I think that that's very so good. You need that fit. Mm-hmm. Michelle Strike, how about you? Yeah, it was to represent my role in what I did for certain work. So making sure that I'm taking credit for what I specifically did and not overdoing it or underselling. So I think that in an interview, you can feel like, oh, I need to go in really humble and then they don't walk away with really understanding your skill. That is your opportunity to sell yourself, but don't oversell yourself and say that you've done things that you really were just like a very modest participant in and you didn't actually lead it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Be honest, but don't hold back. Share your accomplishments. Mm-hmm. And Rebecca, how about you? What's the best advice that you were ever given that you would like to pay forward? So the best advice that I've been given and that I do often actually pay forward because I see this in friends and I've probably been guilty of it myself a time or two, making sure that you are running towards something as hard as you're running away from. Because I think often people are a bit miserable where they are and they will just jump at any chance that they get not considering whether or not it's really a good fit long term. And then they find themselves in that same boat a year or two in. So Uh, do the due diligence. Great advice, ladies. Thank you all very much. And that wraps up today's session. A big thank you to our guest today, Michelle King. We've really enjoyed spending this time with you and, of course, learning from your expertise. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I love talking about the topic and hanging out with you ladies. Oh, great. For those who might be new to our podcast here at Lead Travel Pray, we focus on our three passions, leadership, travel, and spirituality. If you've enjoyed this leadership series on talent acquisition, you may also be interested in our other leadership podcasts. You may search for these podcasts via our website, leadtravelpray.com, or you can search for Lead Travel Pray wherever you access your podcasts. We love to hear from our audience. Did you enjoy this series? Do you have other questions on this topic that you'd like answers to? Send us your feedback via our website or by providing feedback and a rating on this particular podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening. 